Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Tuesday afternoon, welcome back to the work week. If you had yesterday off, hope you enjoyed some time with your family, with some friends. Maybe you spent the afternoon with us here on Sports Talk Mississippi. Talked to a couple of people, said, hey, I was actually out working in the yard, had the radio on, got to listen to you guys yesterday. Don't normally get to do so. For uh, uh, So for those folks, certainly glad to have them along yesterday. Uh, we'll continue to talk college baseball as we roll toward the beginning of regional play coming up on Friday. And then a week from now, it's Super Regionals. And then the week after that, the College World Series that lasts for a month and takes us right into football season. So that's, uh, that's what the next couple of months look like. Uh, it just feels like it lasts uh, that long. Glad to have you along. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online. MSLandBank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, then Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land for over 100 years. You can find branch locations scattered across North Mississippi. You can find those on the website. Also a contact number if you want to give them a call and talk to them specifically about what it is that you need. Mississippi Land Bank would love to help. MSLandBank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Happy Tuesday, Borky. What's up? It's moving week for you, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm trying to navigate a, a last-minute documentary crisis. On top of, we had the final walkthrough today, and there were a lot of things that were supposed to be fixed and done that simply were not. So, Whoop. yeah. I mean, it's stupid things, too, Richard. Like, the people that painted the house uh-huh. took some caps off of outlets and then never put the caps back on. Like the little plates that cover them? Yeah, and and took them with them, or they're not in the house anymore. One of the locks that... uh, There was a lock that didn't work, so they put a new one in upside down. (laughs) It's just little stuff like that. I mean, they they had to fix the ladder to the attic, and fixing it actually made it worse. So, I I don't know what's going on. I've spent the last hour and a half on the phone. Thank God I had the the show done before um, my phone started ringing. We've got notary and document issues and i've got a house that isn't ready and i'm supposed to start moving tomorrow i don't know what's going on so let's well, talk good sports, news I is guess. You, you can still move into a house that doesn't have plates over the electrical outlets those cost like 97 cents a piece and you they, can get them anywhere and you got time before the baby is born to get that done plenty of time yeah but that still pisses me off why is that just not done? Because the, the homeowner had to sign off on everything. So they had to walk through and say, yeah, this is the condition we want to give it to you in. And then I walk through the house and, no, it's not the condition that you're supposed to give it to me in. Well, I mean, I don't know how mechanically inclined you are, but, I mean, you're talking about one flathead screw to put the plates over the I electrical know, outlets. But there, there's even it's the more, principle, right? It's the principle. It's you, you signed off on it being done, and now you've inconvenienced me. And... 
That's mm. I, I gave you asking price for your home. It should look better than it does. You think they're listening? Probably not. It'd be kind of great if they were. That would be kind of funny. You and just they, put them on blast, especially the because, entire state of Mississippi. Especially because it's very specific, and so they would know what I'm talking about. Yeah, like there's no yeah. vagueness here. They, if if the homeowner is listening, yeah, you know. And also, they left something in the backyard. So I told you they had a, a, a huge broken batting cage. Yeah, so that didn't go away. Uh, the batting ca- the the metal is gone, but all of the the mats and stuff that they had and the net is still just like wrapped up in a ball and thrown in the corner of the backyard. <laughs> but like you thought that oh maybe it's behind a little tree that I wasn't going to see it. No, you're supposed hey, to get rid hey, of it. Hey, Dad, it, it could hey. be worse for him. He could be like Rippy and live in a house for a while that had no water. Yeah. yeah I mean, this seems like a paradise compared to, to Rippy's uh, place at the time. Uh, yeah, Borky's not the only one that did adult stuff today. I got my car tag renewed. Big day to be me. Yeah. <laughs> that's all, that's not usually cheap, right? No, but I did it and then like did all the... I, anytime there's paperwork involved, even though I don't have to do it, it feels like adult stuff. I mean, really, all you have to do is walk to the counter. Well, well I mean, details. I got my card tag reduced. You just have to walk to the counter and say, here's my license plate number. How much do I owe you for the new sticker? Yeah, but you got to, like, walk into the, I guess it's not the courthouse. What's that place? Chancery's building? Yeah. Then I went to the sheriff's office. Why did you have to go to the sheriff's office? To get, they sent me, they, I had to go get some kind of piece of paper and then go back over there. I don't know. Maybe they're screwing with me. Who's At the say? sheriff's department, really? Yeah. I've never had that experience. Okay. Well, Not when renewing a car tag. Maybe you got fake stickers. I don't know. Maybe there was an outstanding warrant that you had to take care of and you're not telling us about it. No, no, it's definitely not that because I didn't even actually know fully what kind of piece of paper I was supposed to go get from there, but I basically gave them one, they gave me another, and I was out in two minutes. And you didn't read any of it? If they extinct, no. And no. You didn't do that much adult (laughs) stuff then today, Rippy. I went to two different government buildings. That's as adult as it gets. Did you do anything adult related today? Hey, Dad? I, I mean, lunch. oh, careful how you answer that. Careful, careful, my friend. I made, made sure my children weren't dead when I left the house. They should be fine. Uh, no, yeah, I didn't. That's uh, good. Not much for me today. Yeah. Uh, hey, Borky. You property taxes? That's a that's a new part of your life. Yeah, but even still, with that mixed in, it's still a lot cheaper than running, as I've come to learn. So, so are, is that going to be an escrow for you, where you're not going to have to actually pay that out of pocket? Yeah, I will get to write one check a month. It's going to be pretty nice. Well, there you go, and, and it's really cool when you uh, you look up at the end of the year because they still send you the bill for your property taxes, but somebody else is paying it. That part of it's nice. I kind of wish mine was still set up that way. It's not. It's I get that notice in the mail, and it's like, oh, I've got to go pay that by this date. That part of it's not so uh, not so much fun. What's coming up this afternoon? RPI numbers for each regional. What's the toughest regional? What's the easiest regional? How about the draw? Who got a good deal? Uh, just a tiny bit of breaking news. It doesn't really breaking news, but Clemson is holding left-handed ace Matt Clark for game two. They're pitching Monty, no, excuse me, Jacob Hennessy. For game one against Illinois. So Ole Miss could potentially, if Clemson wins, face a left-handed ace. Really? Yes. Well, that seems like an awfully risky proposition for a two seed or for a three seed. A very average three seed at that, too, because Illinois is a pretty good club. Yeah. Yeah, they are. 
Um, I mean, that, that's a decision where your head coach says it's about winning the regional. It's not about winning one game. And if we can't win game two, then we probably can't win the regional. I mean, is that is that the reason that you would make that decision? Yeah, a combination of that and, like, usually that comes when you have a Doug Nikhazy type that you feel pretty good in in game two. I don't know if they have that. I don't know if that's that's kind of their thinking, but that's generally what happens when something like that takes place. Any news as it pertains to the Starkville Regional, hey, Dad, that has uh, bubbled up over the last 24 hours? Nothing that I, I am aware of. Obviously, you know, we're still awaiting the pitching rotation from Coach Lamonas. Perhaps we can ask him when we talk to him in the next hour. That will uh, that will be good. We're going to visit with Eric Sorensen a little bit later this afternoon. We will talk NCAA baseball tournament with him. Uh, complete bracket stuff. Keith Carter, the interim athletics director at Ole Miss, is going to join us a little bit after four o'clock. And uh, Eric comes up in the uh, the five o'clock hour today as well. So a big show for you. A lot to get to this afternoon. Um, football game of the year lines. I don't uh, games of the year. I don't know if that's really the way to uh, to look at it or not, but some of the big games that are on the calendar uh, coming up for the football season have been updated. So new lines on some of those games. Uh, there is an elite basketball pro- uh, prospect who was down to three major schools who announced that he's not going to any of those schools. What's he going to do, and will it be the start of a trend? We will continue with 100 teams in 100 days this afternoon and a, a whole lot more to get to with you. Um, Rippy, is now a good time for you to tell your uh, your story about your uh, your previous living situation? We'll kick that can down the road for a bit. we got a lot of stuff to get to today. Big show. Okay. No, we got Borky. time for that. <clears throat> no, we do we, not. We may yes, not have time for it right now. I think we've only got a minute or so until the break. That That conversation is happening in the month of July. Okay, that's a future me problem. <laughs> Rippy doing more adult stuff, just putting off what uh, what could be done today till a day uh, down the line. Um, Work smart, well. not hard. You uh, you can text the show on the C Spire text line. The number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Borky, I know that the... Um, the, the whole moving thing is on your plate right now, but I feel like as excited as you were about moving, it's just kind of gotten pushed to the back burner a little bit because baby Borky is on the way as well. Yeah. Um, big year. Big year 2019 for me, I guess. But I'm still excited about it. I mean, walking through today, even though there were stupid things that weren't done, um, I can't wait, especially to change everything about the yard completely and like do my own landscaping. Can't mm-hmm. wait for that. Uh, there was a, a text, Borky. Do you have a realtor? This is the person that should be taking care of these things for you. You are paying them, after all. And uh, he encourages you to remember to file homestead exemption in January of 2020. Big tax break there if uh, if you do that. So don't forget to do that either. We'll, we'll try to remind you down the line. Sports Talk Mississippi will jump into 100 teams in 100 days when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio.
Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. We've got the SEC spring meetings going on in Destin, Florida at the San Destin Hilton. We'll keep you up to date if any news breaks out of those meetings. Keith Carter will join us from Destin coming up a little bit after 4 o'clock this afternoon. Told you a second ago, you can text the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. That's the C Spire text line, C Spire, customer inspired. We'll do it a little earlier today than normal because we've got a busy afternoon coming up. Let's jump into our countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. This day is bananas, B-A-N-A-N-A-S, this day. 100 teams in 100 days. In relation to sea level, today's team on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days plays their games higher than any other school in the country when they are at home. Today, it's the Wyoming Cowboys. So-so fights on. War Memorial Stadium, built originally in 1950 with a capacity of 20,000, is now at nearly 30,000, 7,200 feet above sea level. So you've got Mile High Stadium in Denver, and then you've got Laramie, Wyoming, where they play at almost a mile and a half above sea level. Yes, sometimes visiting teams take oxygen tanks and... uh, They allow their uh, players to get oxygen when they are on the sidelines. Wyoming is a team that a year ago went 6-6. and They started the season with a win against New Mexico State, lost two in a row to Washington State and on the road at Missouri. Really got blown out by Missouri, 40-13. They beat Wofford in Week 4, then lost to Boise State, lost to Hawaii, and lost to Fresno State, and lost to Utah State. So four straight losses and not a good start to the year. They were 2-6 and six after eight games, but finished the season on a strong note. One, r- excuse me, they won a rivalry game on the road in Fort Collins against Colorado State in late October. They beat San Jose State, they beat Air Force, and then they beat New Mexico 31-3, to but did not make it into a bowl game. So, went 6-6 six and six a year ago, 4-4 four and four in the Mountain West Conference. This year, Wyoming opens the season at home against Missouri. So question number one, should Missouri be on upset alert in week one, having to go play at altitude in Laramie, Wyoming, breaking in multiple new quarterbacks? We kind of assume that Kelly Bryant is going to be the starter. We'll have to wait and see for sure. What do you think? Upset alert for Mizzou in week one? I think anytime you're not Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, a program like that, and you're on the road, especially in your opener, you're on upset alert. Doesn't matter who you are. So yeah, for me, yeah, Mizzou should be should be a little nervous. Rippy, you don't think Missouri's on upset alert against Wyoming in week one? I'm gonna go no. Okay. Like not even close? Well what do you know, Rippy? God. I don't know much at all. But I would say no. I mean, you're talking about the talent discrepancy with 
presumably Kelly Bryan as the starter. Do you actually see that as a possibility? Like, I can't even picture how that would look. Um, You know, you turn it over a couple of times, you get gassed because you're playing a mile and a half above sea level, and Wyoming gets the 23,000 people that are in the stadium for the season opener kind of into a frenzy, and all of a sudden you look up and you're down 10 in the fourth quarter. Was that meant as a dig? What? The 23,000 people. Oh, I mean, you take it however you want to. Their band's name is Western Thunder. That's pretty sweet. You like that? Yeah. Missouri in week one. Then they go to Texas State. Then they host Idaho. Then go to Tulsa. Uh, A home game against UNLV on September 28th. Road trip to San Diego State. New Mexico and Nevada at home and back-to-back weeks in October. You're getting into the point of the season where snow is a possibility. Road game at Boise State. Road game at Utah State, then they host Colorado State and close out the regular season against Air Force on the road in uh, what Colorado Springs, their beautiful setting at the United States Air Force Academy. Some things that you might or might not know about uh, Wyoming football. Craig Bull is the uh, the head coach. Back-to-back bowl games in 2016 and 2017. I believe that was the first time in program history. To go to back-to-back bowl games? Based off their bowl history, it looks like here, yes. I believe that you are correct. Um, Dave Christensen, the previous head coach, took him to a couple of bowl games. Uh, Craig Bowl lost to BYU in the Poinsettia Bowl in 2016. and 2017, they beat Central Michigan in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. So, rivalries. They've got three primary rivalries. Colorado State is called the Border War. They play for a bronze boot. That's given to the winner of the ball game. Uh, they have a long-standing rivalry with uh, with Hawaii that went dormant for a long time. They play for the Paniolo Trophy, given to the winner of the game, a rivalry that started in 1979 when Hawaii joined the WAC. It was played annually until 1997. And then when Wyoming joined the Mountain West Conference, that rivalry ended. They started it back in 2012 when Hawaii joined the Mountain West as a football-only affiliate and were able to renew the rivalry. And then in uh, the game against Utah State, it's called Bridger's Battle. The winner is awarded the trophy of the rivalry, a 50 caliber Rocky Mountain Hawken rifle. So as trophies go, they've got a bronze boot, a 50 caliber Rocky Mountain Hawken rifle, and I have no idea what the Paniolo Trophy looks like, but it's got a cool name anyway. That's a three lot trophy on. games, hey Dad, in the regular season. I like that. I like that. I, I, I am I am pro. I am pro trophy for uh, for games. You that know, feels love, very big. I love the Big Ten stuff. So you know. Yeah, good call. Good call, hey Dad. The Big Ten feels like it has a trophy for every single like divisional game. Uh, that rifle here you is, go. is cool. The uh, Paniolo Trophy. Uh, these two schools are separated by 3,320 miles. Paniolo means, and I might be not pronouncing that correctly, it means cowboy in Hawaiian. Huh. Uh, it was donated by the Wyoming Paniolo Society, a group of Hawaii residents with roots in Wyoming, in an effort to strengthen the bond of friendship between the University of Hawaii and the, uh, the University of Wyoming. 
It's just a big bronze trophy on a wooden deal with a bunch of plaques on the side of it. There you go. So now you know, if you didn't know before. Uh, is Jay Novacek the most famous former Wyoming Cowboy? Josh Allen. Is he more famous than Jay Novacek? Could potentially. Like, not really even tongue-in-cheek. Right now, I mean, though. Are we, are we just talking sports? Uh, I mean, if you've got a, another Wyoming alum that you'd like to throw into Dick the conversation, Cheney feel is free. is a Wyoming alum. Dick Cheney. Yep. Is he more famous than uh, Jay Novacek? I'm going to say yeah. Jerry Buss is also a, uh, or a was a, an alum. That's probably the correct answer, Dr. Jerry Buss. Kurt I know Gowdy. one NBA organization that would like to have Dr. Jerry Buss back. Buddy, mm. every day, every day I wish that was the case. Did he? Uh, Kurt, Kurt Gowdy, though, longtime uh, Hall of Fame announcer. There you go. Big time. Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Jeannie Buss doesn't strike fear into the hearts of people the way Dr. Well, she's Jerry not a doctor, Buss. first and foremost, let's be honest. Uh, but secondly, no, she, she doesn't strike fear into anyone. Uh, are you sure? You might want to double-check on that. I, I think she does have... No? Did I completely I make that up? Pretty sure you did. Hey, Dad does have authority on who gets the doctor title these days. <laughs> yeah. That's my job. Well, and he's a uh, Laker guy as well, right? That's right. Yeah, she's just Jeannie Buss. Okay. I, uh, I'm i going with, well, with either Jerry Buss or Dick Cheney, though, is the most famous. Fair enough. Um, I don't know why I thought that Jeannie Buss had a uh, a doctorate, but apparently not. No. She posed in Maybe she once. has an Maybe honorary doctorate anything. from somewhere. That's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Wyoming is team number 95 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. It's a cool setting for football. I'd say you've been there. Is it that? Is it fun? Um, you know, Ole Miss lost that game, so it probably uh, shades. That's the real or not. test, I think it was though. Fun. Or That's not. the real test. Did you have a good time, even though your team lost? Hey, Dad. If I'm being perfectly honest, I was a little nervous on that trip because I was doing play-by-play on television for the very first time. I say nervous. That might not be the right word, but. I had a lot on my mind, and like going to check out the nightlife in Laramie on that Friday night before they played on Saturday was not at the top of my list. I got it. Maybe that's a failure on my part. Maybe um, next time. Maybe next time. So Wyoming, team number 95 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. Coming up next, Luke Johnson will join us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Sports Talk Mississippi, the Renaissance Bank Studio. Off Mississippi. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Luke feels a little different in and around Hattiesburg and Southern Miss baseball than it did a week ago or even, oh, I don't know, four or five days ago as the Golden Eagles are NCAA regional bound. Folks excited? Yeah, I mean, who knew that we played UAB and lost the series to them a week, a week and a half ago? I mean, you talk about 
uh, energy being back in the players, energy being back in the fan base, uh, people really forgetting those last three series, especially the Rice series, as Golden Eagles were able to you know take care of them in a tournament. But yeah, a lot of excitement. Uh, they had a selection show party yesterday at Walk-Ons in Hattiesburg, and a lot of fans showed up for it. Golden Eagles just happy to to be in uh, postseason play. The, down to their last out, you know, in in the first game to go in the losers bracket, and then just turn it around, win four in a row, and going to go to Baton Rouge this weekend. I know it sounds a little trite or maybe even a little cliche, but it's almost like there's kind of a new lease on life for uh, for this baseball team. Uh, dead in the water, down four to one in the bottom of the ninth inning. Score three runs, push it to extra innings. Matt Walner gets the walk off, and then the pitching is unbelievable, like unbelievably good through the rest of the tournament run down in Biloxi. And now you look up and. Given kind of what the pitchers did, you start looking at this thing going, well, if you can if you can get game one against a good Arizona State team, then yeah, maybe you got a shot against LSU. Yeah, I mean, it could have ended – the regional selection could have ended a, a lot worse. I, I was thinking Miami may go to Baton Rouge, and that would have been a, a crazy hard game one. Arizona State's a great team. But the Eagles, when you look at overall where they landed, um, you know, LSU um, – Obviously LSU, but still showing some weakness this year. Golden Eagles feel good about it. It's just kind of what you know, what top or bottom of the roller coaster. Uh, this was about as top as it can get, and this team's just been up and down all year. But like you said, the pitching really, really came on, uh, especially Hunter Slater out of the bullpen, Cody Carroll out of the bullpen. But the story of the weekend, other than, than Matt Walner's bat and, and some of the other guys waking up, uh, was Gabe Shepard, uh, a true freshman with Tommy John, his senior year in high school. He comes in his longest outing of the year, seven and two thirds, strikes out twelve. Uh, Rice batters no hits them. Cody Carroll, Hunter Stanley able to complete the no hitter, but he was sitting the whole game, ninety three to ninety six, and it was the most dominant performance in the conference USA tournament, and the, and the most dominant performance uh, strikeout wise of any Southern Miss pitcher this year. When you look at average RPI, kind of across the board for different regionals, there's some that are more difficult than others. The Baton Rouge Regional, where Southern Miss is going to be playing, kind of middle of the pack. You've got LSU at 16, Arizona State at 33, Southern Miss at 45, and then Stony Brook the four seed, and sometimes that's where it gets a little out of whack. They're at 138 in the RPI, so the average RPI for the four teams in the Baton Rouge Regional, 58. Does that matter? Does that mean anything to you? Well, you know, Stats don't lie, and you know RPI, uh, whatever you want to argue with about it, it's what we use as the metric. And so when you look at Arizona State, they're the third lowest uh, three seed, I mean two seed in any bracket. So the Golden Eagles, in some sense, you know, dodged a big one versus having a NC State or um, you know, as I said before, Miami. Uh, but you know, Arizona State, when you look at what they've done, Tracy Smith in his fifth year. Uh, Southern Miss fans pride themselves in having uh, one Matt Walner. Well, well, Arizona State has two. Torkelson, a sophomore, hit 25 home runs as a freshman last year, 21 home runs this year as a sophomore. And then they got another guy, Hunter Bishop, hit 22 home runs. Both of those guys have OPSs over uh, 1,100 or 1.1. Torkelson actually, uh, or Bishop actually has a 1.238 OPS. 
So the Golden Eagles, um, you look at it and you say, well, you know, 33 RPI, you kind of looked out there. And, but then you look at an offense that led the Pac-12 in home runs, led the Pac-12 in average, uh, second in on-base percentage, second in runs, second in hits. And so it, it's it's extremely difficult uh, matchup. Luke Johnson is on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. When you look at two versus three matchups, and by the way, I'm asking these questions because Luke did some uh, did some pretty good research. Uh, put together a bunch of uh, RPI kind of. Let's take a look at how the RPI stacks up. So when you go two versus three, Southern Miss against Arizona State, the average RPI between those two is 39, with uh, Arizona State at 33, Southern Miss at at 45. In terms of a matchup against a two-seed, I mean, I I know you talked about the offensive productivity of of Arizona State this year. Do do you think it's a a reasonably favorable matchup for Southern Miss? It's just going to depend on the pitching. Uh, We talked to to Coach Barry a little earlier on the Eagle Hour, and you know what people don't know outside Conference USA world, Walker Powell, who is Southern Miss's Friday guy, Stevie Powers, who is Southern Miss's Saturday guy, both of those guys pitched this past Sunday in the conference championship. Powell pitched four, Stevie pitched, I think, three. And so those guys were already throwing. Walker Powell was on three days rest throwing 90 pitches in game one. There's a good chance that Southern Miss is going to th- going to throw freshman Gabe Shepard on, on Friday. Coach Barry did not, you know, he has not released his uh, yep. rotation at all, but there's a chance and I don't think you can expect seven and, and a third of, of no-hit ball, 12 uh, strikeouts against Arizona State but you know Shepard's one of those guys uh, when when he's feeling it, I mean four pitch guy crazy uh, good movement on his slider and his curveball this past weekend he's a guy that, you know, he's just kind of a, a wild card, if he's on man, it could give Arizona State some uh some real trouble, and uh, then that will, what that would mean is your Friday night guys throwing in game two. Uh, but you, cert- you you can't look past it. I mean, this is the biggest game. Uh, Arizona State is a really, really good two-seed. In some ways, I think, based off their offense, uh, maybe a, a little under RPI. I don't know if you all looked at, at Arizona State at all. They started the season 21-0, and and the first loss was to Oregon on March 23rd, and they were really 50-50 the rest of the way. But, you know, a team, when they're playing well, they, they beat everybody. Scott told us yesterday, and or, or at least it sounded like he was leaning toward not throwing Walker Powell, considering that he went short, wet, uh, short rest from the final weekend of the regular season to the first game of the conference tournament, and then he throws on three days rest, and they just didn't hear. He said he just didn't think that that was fair to ask him to uh, to go on short rest, possibly get him an extra day's rest, and then you know the the flip side of that is that you've either got him throwing in a winner's bracket game, which puts you in a great position, or if you're facing facing elimination, you got the guy that's got more experience than anybody else on the staff throwing in game two. Yeah, and that's what you ran into last year. A lot of people wanted them to sit Sandlin and throw uh, Powers against. Dallas Baptist, and uh, but Scott, you know, usually a guy he wants to get in the winners bracket. He doesn't think about game two; he thinks about game one. Uh, you would have the luxury this year, uh, due to the argument, you know, with with rest. But it would set up the Eagles perfect if they were able somehow to win on Friday. You'd have your number one guy going against, assuming LSU. But because Stony Brook's there, you never know what happened and might happen in Allen Box when Stony Brook's in town. You, you mentioned Gabe Shepard, you know, not expecting him to go out and throw seven and a third hitless, which I think we can all agree with. You would never expect that going into the game. 
But I don't think it's crazy to expect that he goes out and, and pitches another good game for you because he's gone back-to-back quality starts, or, or maybe not quality starts from a statistical standpoint, but has been really good in his last two starts against Troy and then in the conference tournament. Yeah, Coach Ostrander, the pitching coach, just said, you know, they, they tried to stretch him out a little bit until the last midweek game of the season against Troy. He had never thrown more than three innings in a game. Did great against Troy, uh, nine strikeouts. And then what, and, and Rice, I mean, I was sitting right there, two rows up. He, it was nasty. I mean, everything he was throwing was filthy. Uh, a scout there, you know, with, with the gun, you, you got a true freshman sitting 94 to 96. I mean, that, that's, that's pretty amazing, and he's not the biggest dude either. Interesting about him, he was having a little uh, little consistency problem out of uh, the windup. So Saturday he threw exclusively from the stretch, and uh, it benefited him well. And so, yeah, he's a guy that if, if his stuff's kicking, I mean, he could give any lineup some trouble. Big stadium in Baton Rouge in terms of numbers of seats. Do you expect a bunch of Southern Miss fans to be there on Friday for uh, for that first game against Arizona State? Not a not a real long drive, is it? No, just uh, about three hours from Hattiesburg, maybe a little under that. Um, yeah, I think there will be a great contingent there. The, the noon, because it's Friday, though, uh, they showed up in Biloxi uh, at, at noon on Wednesday, of all things, and a, a big crowd. So, yeah, I mean, if, if Golden Eagle fans are able to get the, the right number of tickets, expect to see a lot of gold in the stands. How big was the Southern Miss crowd on Sunday? I, I saw pictures, and it looked like it absolutely dominated the stadium. There was about 4,000 people there, and about 3,980 wow. of them were, were Southern Miss fans. <laughs> Give or take, right? Give or take. Yeah, they, they love that Biloxi crowd. I think the rest of Conference USA may want to move on after next year, but, man, it was rocking. That's a yeah, pretty cool setup. Are you thinking about slipping off to Baton Rouge on Friday or Saturday? We'll see what happens, man. Um, yeah, I, I, I really want to see it. Uh, Alec Box. Uh, of course, he's from my hometown of Laurel, uh, World War II veteran, you know, buried in North Africa. And just to see the Golden Eagles play in, in that kind of setup, one of the most electric atmospheres in college baseball. If Eagles can get through game one, man, it'll, it'll make some stuff interesting. I'm excited for it. Absolutely. Thanks, Luke. All right, guys. Have a good day. That is Luke Johnson. He is co-host of the Eagle Hour on Super Talk Hattiesburg, Super Talk Laurel, and Super Talk Pike County. You can catch them one to two every day on those three stations and also streaming online at supertalk.fm. Will Wade spoke today, kind of. He used words, he just didn't say a whole lot down in Destin. Pat Forty of Yahoo Sports posted this story about two hours ago. Here's how it starts. That's a good question, Will Wade said with an incongruous smile on his face. Wade then proceeded to not answer said question, and LSU seems perfectly fine with enabling its men's basketball coach as he performs a weak charade that evades public accountability. If there were a good answer to that question, the public certainly would have heard it by now. Tuesday was the first time Wade has faced reporters since March 7th, and this was the question I asked him here at SEC Spring Meetings. Can you explain the, quote, strong-ass offer, close quote, to Javante Smart? The answer is no. He can't explain that. And asked if he had used those specific words, he said, I don't know. I haven't heard the recording. Uh, huh. the, the reporter that asked that question deserves some praise, too, because the reporter multiple times said, but did they misquote you in the story? 
and he would deflect, say something like, well, I addressed it all at the NCAA. And the guy said, well, I'm talking about the story. Did they misquote you in the story? And he said, well, no, I don't know. I haven't heard the recording yet. And the reporter kept firing back. Did they misquote you? And he never actually answered. He never used the word no or yes one time in his press conference today. It was kind of remarkable when you think about it. Incredibly brave of 40. Freedom fighter. Yeah, like he makes this dude sound like a crim- like he's crushing this. Like, has anyone crushed Mizzou? Oh no, because they went there. I mean, uh-huh. yeah, it's interesting. Uh-huh. But like, they've got a capital J school at Mizzou. Oh yeah, they do. They said no to me. <laughs> Ask whether the LSU fan base and general public were owed an explanation for the wiretapped call Yahoo Sports reported in uh, reported in March. Wade said that he quote can't get into the specifics of everything, and followed it up with eventually as we move forward from this, I want to get to a point where we have full disclosure. We're not at that point right now. I'm sure he does. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. I- Let's be honest. If he survives, if he steps on the floor in November of this year and coaches basketball at LSU, it is open season, which maybe it always has been and maybe it always will be. But if he survives this, then it's open season. Then you might as well just publicly start throwing cash at kids. This is slightly unrelated to this story, but I'm just going to keep... I'm I'm not even beating a drum here. I'm just going to continue to keep throwing this out there just as... That's interesting. LSU hired Scott Woodward to be their athletics director. And they hired him because it made all the sense in the world. He has the reputation of being a good athletics director and an aggressive AD, hires good coaches, etc. But a byproduct of hiring Scott Woodward as athletics director is you basically now have Mark Emmert at your Thanksgiving table. What do I mean by that? Mark Emmert's daughter is married to Scott Woodward's stepson. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. I mean, it can't hurt, right? Maybe it's just the biggest coincidence in the history of the world. That's altogether possible. But it's awfully flippin' convenient for LSU, who's kind of going to eventually be staring down the barrel of the NCAA's proverbial gun, to know that the athletics director representing the school staring down the barrel, and the person who is holding the gun have children who are married to each other. And when a- Am I crazy happens? here, or does that make it a little bit more difficult for Mark Emmert and the NCAA to come crashing down on LSU? That would be something that is generally called a conflict of interest? Well, I'm sure we'll recuse ourselves from the proceedings to make sure that everything oh, yeah. happens just the way it should. Buttoned up and in order. Hey, Dad, is that too conspiracy theory for you? I mean, that's about as far as I go on a conspiracy theory. And I'm not even saying that there's a conspiracy there. I'm just saying, at face value, the president of the NCAA's daughter is married to the athletic director's stepson. 
No, it's not. It's not a conspiracy theory at all. It's it's what's going to happen. That is what is going to happen. They will get this under the table. It will be taken care of because one hand is going to wash the other one there. So, it's not a conspiracy theory. What if I said this started way before he took the job? Like I read just read a story on UFOs that I'm not buying this conspiracy theory. But again, it's not a conspiracy theory. I'm just telling you those are the facts. The kids are married. They might all sit down around and carve a turkey together on Thanksgiving night, especially when LSU's not playing A&M on Thanksgiving night in Tiger Stadium. Refuse to do that. Not going to happen. So, I mean, they've freed up the holiday season to carve a turkey and share some dressing and a nice bottle of Bordeaux if they so are in so inclined. Just say it. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Coming up next on the Farm Bureau phone line, Ole Miss Interim Athletics Director Keith Carter. Sports Talk Mississippi with you Tuesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky in the Jackson studio. Hey, Dad's in Starkville, Rippy in Oxford with me. We're glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank where they know the lay of the land. Going to go to the Farm Bureau phone line right now and check in with the new interim athletics director at Ole Miss, Keith Carter. He is in Destin, where the SEC spring meetings are going. Keith, if we had had this conversation one week ago, for being completely honest, uh, I don't think athletics director at Ole Miss was anywhere on your radar, was it? No, it, it wasn't, Richard. Thank you, first of all, for having me on the show. Um, no, it wasn't. Um, you know, I was down in Hoover and, and just kind of doing my, my normal routine and, and being with the baseball team. And, you know, obviously uh, when Ross called me and, and told me the news about, about him losing for A&M, uh, it came as a shock. But certainly, you know, an opportunity for him and, and uh, I, you know, obviously an opportunity for me. So, uh, you know, it's worked out well and, um, you know, it's happened very quickly, but uh, it's a very exciting time for sure. With everything happening quickly, I'm sure there's an element of it kind of feeling like you're drinking out of a fire hose. Is the fact that the, the spring meetings are going on where all 14 athletics directors in the SEC are in one place and they're talking about big legislative items and all kinds of stuff that could affect the, the future of the league and the future of the schools in the league, is that a good time to just jump straight into the deep end or would it have been better for you to have had a couple of weeks to try and maybe get your feet under you? Or does it matter one way or the other? You know, I, I'm not sure it matters. I mean, in this league, you know, whether you're having, you know, spring meetings or, or whatever, there's always something pressing, always something going on. So, you know, in, in some ways I think it's good to be here around the commissioner, around the other athletics directors, or, you know, the coaches, those type of things, and, and get uh, kind of indoctrinated very quickly. Um, but, yeah, certainly this morning, you know, I'm voting on, on items that uh, – you know, just a few days ago, that that I wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't sure of, of what was what was going on, what was what was what they were actually even talking about, you know. So I had to get, you know, brought up to speed with our with all of those items. But uh, but certainly it's it's been good. Uh, been overwhelmed with the support and uh, been been returning a lot of texts and emails and, and haven't quite finished those yet. Trying to, to get back to everyone, but uh, it's been great. And, and I think you know, obviously, you know, if people have been around me, they know how much. Uh, I care about Ole Miss and, and certainly wanted to step in and do anything that I could to help in this transition period. Uh, and I'm thankful that, uh, you know, Larry, Larry Sparks, our chancellor, uh, gave me that opportunity. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting. There's a lot to learn and, uh, and certainly, you know, it's, it's coming quickly. 
Keith, as I understand it, that uh, I think Larry Sparks has made it known that that he was not going to hire a permanent athletics director. That that's something that will happen when the new chancellor is in place. Which makes me think that you're looking at potentially an extended period of time in this role. When when Chancellor Sparks said to you, "I want you to be the interim athletics director," what what charge did he give you? What what is your responsibility as AD when interim? is in front of that title. Well, yeah, you hit it on the head. I, and I think I think uh, Chancellor Sparks is, is doing the right thing and you know, wants to, to let the new chancellor kind of make the permanent decision on, on athletics director. I certainly understand that and, and think that's the right thing to do. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think with just my knowledge and kind of you know, my having been at Ole Miss the last 10 years, having been a student-athlete here, really knowing kind of the lay of the land, you know, I, I think that, that we have a great opportunity to continue to push forward. We want to be aggressive. Um, you know, I think Larry's going to give give me and, and our staff some autonomy to, to continue some of the things that we were working on. You know, obviously when Ross was here, um, you know, I was working with him closely day in and day out. Uh, we've got a great executive staff with Lynette Johnson and Michael Thompson and, and others that, uh, that will help me, you know, through this transition, and, and I'll certainly lean heavily on them. But um, you know, we're going to make sure that, that we continue to push forward. We want to make sure that uh, we're not just kind of treading water. We want to we want to be aggressive and continue to grow our program. So um, I'm excited about that opportunity, and uh, certainly we're going to we're going to do that. Keith, I, I feel like I know you well enough and have known you long enough to know that you weren't just sitting around most days looking for stuff to do. I mean, you're the, the chief revenue officer, so you were in charge of the fundraising arm with the Ole Miss Athletics Foundation and a couple of years ago picked up the responsibility of being kind of the overseer administrator of two of the three major men's sports programs in basketball and baseball. So what happens to those responsibilities that you've had when you're also supposed to be the athletics director who's running the entire department? Well, you know, certainly we're going to have to look at our structure, you know, in the interim as well. Uh, we've got great people on our staff, uh, very capable people that can, can pick up certain responsibilities and, and do things and, um, people that have already been assisting me and, and, and those things that you just mentioned. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll get through Destin here. We'll get through the regional this weekend and, and, you know, I'll kind of assess what all that looks like. But, but certainly we're going to have to, to shift some, some responsibilities and, and, it put some people in place to, to do some, some new things. But, you know, that's an opportunity for them, and, and I think that's uh, an exciting, you know, thing that we can do. But, but certainly, you know, again, we, we want to stay aggressive. We want to do, do the things that, um, that we think our department is capable of. But, um, you know, we're going to make sure that we, we bring the best talents and the best responsibilities out of, out of everyone, and, and certainly, especially within the foundation, um, you know, that's probably where my void will be seen the most. I'm going to not really be housed in that office anymore. Uh, at least in the short term, so I'm, I'm going to have to to look at that structure and, and make sure that uh, we're continuing to raise money and, and doing those things that are so important to our to our department. But uh, again, great people that we have, and, and I know we're going to be very capable of uh, of making those changes. I hope you'll forgive me if if this is an unfair question, given the fact that you've had the title that you now have for about 48 hours. But w- when you look at the future. Do you want to be the athletics director? Is that something that is interesting to you or something that you want to pursue? Or is this truly, for you, in your mind, an interim thing? 
Well, you know, Richard, for me, I mean, my, my goal has always been uh, to be an athletics director, and, and certainly, you know, I, I think having been at Ole Miss uh, for the past 10 years, I've been able to, to be in some great positions, and, uh, you know, Ross was, was great to, to let me grow and, and to do some things for my career, you know, here at Ole Miss that have really allowed me to, you know, to, to grow. So, um, you know, to, to kind of jump into it so quickly was, was maybe not something I was expecting, but... You know, for me, I've got a, I've got an opportunity now to, to go to work every day and, and, and earn, you know, maybe that possibility of, of becoming the permanent athletics director. But, you know, for me, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, harp on that. I'm not gonna go to work every day thinking about that. I just want to go to work and, and do great work for Ole Miss and in the athletic department, work with great people, work with great students, great coaches. Um, and, and I truly feel like we're going to be successful. I think we're going to be able to continue momentum obviously we we've got kind of our well chronicled you know issues that we've been through in the last several years but i, I really do feel like we're coming out of that uh, and that there's going to be some really really good things that are going to be happening you know over this next six to 12 month period so um, again i'm just going to go to work put my put my head down and and, and try to do great work and, and uh, you know we'll let the chips kind of fall where they may but uh you know, certainly if i would get that opportunity at some point that would be something that uh, i would certainly be interested in Keith, if, uh, understanding that, that you have to be out of town this first week and maybe next week you get into the office and there are a million things that you have to do kind of from a paperwork standpoint and just kind of getting everything in motion, Let, let's say two or three weeks from now when you're able to sit down, where does your immediate focus begin as, you know, as we're talking about, this could be an extended period. It could be four, five months, six months. Who knows how long it could last in, in kind of the day-to-day operation of the program what what's your biggest focus right out of the gate well you know i think maybe the question that you brought up a little earlier we've got to figure out what our structure looks like we've got to figure out you know who we need to move around to make sure we've got all of our bases covered and, and we're, we're doing all the things that we need to do to, to really be productive at a high level and and i think certainly we've got the people in place that we can do that um you know but again as i talk to coach luke as i talk to kermit as i talk to mike um, you know, all of our coaches, I mean, we want to continue to, to grow. And, and I think that sometimes when you have, you know, an interim tag, um, you know, you've got an interim, you know, status that you kind of get in the mindset, well, let's just kind of tread water. Let's, you know, let's just, you know, have the status quo and, and, and not really get off the rails. But, you know, again, I, I was fortunate enough. Ross was, 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 you know, so good as, as a leader and, and as a mentor that he allowed me and, and others to really be in the middle of a lot of the decision making process that, that's been going on, whether it be with capital projects, whether it be with, you know, a lot of different things. So I feel like I've got a good base that we can come right in. We can continue those things. And obviously we're, we're going through some things with our budget right now that we're trying to figure out. And, um, you know, I've been involved heavily with all of those decisions and, and those type of things. So I think this one's a little unique in the fact that hopefully, you know, instead of, of just again, treading water and, and, and remaining kind of where we are, if we can keep pushing forward. So I think there's a lot to do. You know, obviously my, my background is extensively more on the external side, so I've got to get with you know, Julie Owen in compliance and, and talk to her. I've got to get with our academic folks and talk with them, you know, and, and kind of get the lay of the land there a little more maybe than some of my other day-to-day duties. But uh, I'm excited about it. Again, I, I couldn't be more happy with, with our staff. And, um, you know, to go to work with them every day and, and try to figure this thing out is going to be a lot of fun. Keith, congratulations on being named to this spot. I, I tweeted this earlier in the week. There are very few people on the planet who are more invested in Ole Miss athletics, given uh, your history and uh, the position that you've been in and the position that you are in now. 
certainly wish you nothing but the best and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Great. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate the time today. Enjoy the beach. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad, Michael Borky, and you. Glad to have you along. C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. A couple of messages um, on the uh, C Spire text line, David and uh, Socher. Now he has to trade, trade in his knee-high uh, knee white socks for some business socks. Help him out, Richard. <laughs> I think he's just fine. Um, how I'm long you didn't ask before... him about his days as a baseball player, by the way? Say what now? I'm surprised you didn't ask him about his days as a baseball player. You know, uh, baseball postseason yeah, coming that, up. That, that happened yesterday, didn't it? <laughs> uh, so thanks to uh, Keith Carter for joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Let's stick right there on the Farm Bureau phone line. Go to Starkville and check in with the head baseball coach at Mississippi State, Chris Lamonis, his team a top eight national seed. They're the number six seed and will be hosting uh, Southern University in the first game of the Starkville Regional. Coach, I guess first of all, congratulations. It's been a heck of a season. I know a lot of work still to be done uh, from your perspective, but uh, to this point, man, it's been good. Thanks. I appreciate it. We're, uh, we got a very talented team and they've, they've played well. It's um, It's been a lot of fun and uh, it's kind of like the second season starts here on Friday. Sometimes teams take on the personality uh, of their head coach. Did you feel like this team did that with you, or was there a, a long enough relationship building time, kind of going into the year, for that to take place? No, I don't. I don't know about that one. I, I just think uh, I was fortunate. I came into a pretty good culture of toughness and winning and expectations. Um, I think we've morphed in other ways, probably, but I, I think this group. Uh, they had an identity before I got here, and it was a very fortunate for me. I mean, um, I've said it before, but what they did at the end of the year last year, and, and I tip my hat to, to the coaches from last year's team of to continue to coach those kids and get them to keep playing and playing hard, because usually when you break through that, um, it, it makes for a pretty special team, and that's what we were. We took over a pretty good culture. Different teams have different approaches, and maybe those different approaches are based on needs. Uh, in the SEC tournament, there really wasn't, other than maybe the opportunity to carry a trophy home with you back to Starkville, there, there wasn't really a need for you to do anything else or, or prove anything else. Is that maybe, even if you didn't really want to say it out loud, kind of how you approached the SEC tournament? Although, certainly, you guys laid it on the line in that 17-inning game. Yeah, you know... Um... Our kids don't know anything else but compete. I mean, it's one of their greatest traits is they're competitive. And it was a little bit hard for me because, you know, opening night, you're running in to play LSU, the stadium's filling up, and uh, they're throwing their ace, and you're throwing your freshman, you know, and you're sitting there like, this isn't normal. Um, So we tried to make the best decisions to have our pitching staff lined up for this week, but we had full expectations of going out there and playing hard and playing good baseball. And so it was kind of a, a mixed bag there a little bit, but um, if we could have won it, we would have won it. You know, we just you know didn't play well enough. We got you know tied up with a good pitching matchup against Vanderbilt, and yeah. then um, you know the last game against LSU. But it was a, it was a lot of pitching for us in a three day period. You know, with the seventeen inning game. Let's uh, let's stick with the pitching conversation. Kind of going into the weekend, have you formulated your plan? Are you willing to share the plan at this point for kind of how you're going to approach the weekend with your rotation? 
No, we're still looking. We're still scouting the other teams, so we're trying to figure it out and see what we're going to do, but we haven't really come up with a plan yet. What have you done in the past, uh, maybe when you were at Indiana, kind of looking at that, or does it really depend on whether or not you're the one seed or you're a two or a three seed? I think it matters a little bit if you're the one. You know, all those years at Louisville we hosted, and, and for the most part we threw our ace. I mean, we just threw our best guy out there, win game one, have momentum, and move on. Um, it depends on matchups, so too, how your guys match up and what, what kind of teams are in there. We, we're fortunate. We feel like we have a couple number ones. I mean, we have the SEC Pitcher of the Year, but we also have the SEC Freshman of the Year that have pitched really good. So we we have some, you know, some ability to move or maneuver those guys around a little bit. JT again on the mound lately. He's had some really, really good outings this season, and then he's had some outings where maybe he didn't get as far. Is there anything to the idea of, of getting rattled a little early and maybe not being able to just kind of settle back in and roll with the punches? What, what have you seen from a demeanor standpoint with him on the mound kind of throughout the course of the year? He's, he's a real competitive kid. So he, he goes out there, and the moment never seems to get too big for him. This past weekend, he had some of his best stuff he's had all year. He dominated the first two innings and then yeah. um, gave up a hit or two. But also, man, we had three errors in the middle of that. And, um, you know, that's just really hard to pitch out of that in that environment with, uh, the, you know, LSU has really good hitters, you know. So um, just a kind of a bad combination there. But I think he's been pretty steady the whole year, giving us really good starts, um, competes in the zone. And like I said, his stuff. Just his actual velocity and the type of stuff he's throwing up there has been really good of late. We, we were talking about this some yesterday. Given how dominant he must have been and was in high school, he probably didn't deal with a whole lot of runners on base. Is it fundamentally different for a pitcher when he's working from the windup versus working from the stretch in a tight ball game with runners on? I think so. I think um, you know he, he started the year slowly with it. And then he really improved, and then he kind of regressed a little bit in, in the game the other day. He just got got a little longer, um, but for the most part, the last six eight weeks he's been really good at holding the running game. So um, his first couple outings, they they took advantage of it a little bit, um, and I do think it's because he has dominated so much in his life. He just hasn't had a lot of runners, and uh, he's been able just to strike the guy out or <clears throat> if he gets somebody on. But he he did he made, did a nice adjustment about week three or four of the season and pitch really well with it for most of the year. So I think you'll see that this coming weekend. You may roll your eyes when I ask this question. And to be perfectly honest, it's hard for me to ask it with a straight face. What's wrong with Jake Mangum? Uh, I don't I, I just write his name into number one in the lineup <laughs> card and play center field. And he, uh, he's, had, you know, he's had two weeks where he's just probably had a hard time finding a hit. Uh, a couple of them are hard hit balls. <clears throat> so he's had a little bit of that. But um, that's that's the least of my worries right now. He's gonna, he'll show up and be ready to go on Friday at noon. Yeah, and, and like I said, I mean, I, I kind of asked that tongue in cheek. I mean, you even go back to the the SEC tournament, and he can't hit the ball any harder or any better than the one that he hit where he gets the ground rule double and would have yeah. ended the game in what like three or four innings earlier, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, he just it's just he, he's so good. His, when he's playing well, he's getting you so many hits. When he's when he has an off week, you, you sit there and go, "Wow, that's a lot." You know, well. You just don't realize it. That's when you realize how good he is. But every hitter goes through it a little bit. And um, but he's been, you know, shoot. I, I was sitting at my desk a little while ago and saw him walking by with his bat. So I know he's working and getting after it. And uh, you know, just a great competitor. I, I feel good about Jake for this week. 
Well, and I think he told people yesterday that you had given guys a couple of days off, and he tried not to think about baseball, and it just didn't work at all. And so he hit on the off day and was uh, was back at the ballpark. Um, I'm sure. Let, let, I'm sure he did. Yeah, yeah. Last thing for you: um, draft happens on Monday night. Potentially, baseball still going on. You got guys that are going to be drafted and are going to be drafted high. How tough is it to deal with while you're still playing baseball? <laughs> it, it's just. Um... For us, the hardest part of our job in these positions that we have is managing your roster. And um, from the guys that I have in the program, from the guys that I have, you know, coming into the program and knowing what you're going to have in August is, is really tough. Um, and, our, and our job is to, you know, the guys in our program, and they all want to play professionally and giving them the right advice and, and helping them out as much as we can. And then playing good baseball while they're going through that. That's, that's really tough. Um, and then on the flip side, you know, the incoming guys, too. Um, I'm a big proponent, obviously, of guys going to college. I think it's the experience here, and, and this is like single A, double A, triple A. If you can show you can do it here, then you can move on. But it's a, there, there's a lot of that going on. We try to keep it out of their minds as much as possible, but we know it's always there. And it's uh, especially when you show up and there's 30 guys behind the plate or, shoot, it's about 75 or 100 in the SEC tournament. Mm-hmm. Just you know, you have everybody there watching these guys, so they know it, and they but they have to learn to play with it. Do you use as a selling point in the recruiting process that you know you look at Major League Baseball opening day rosters, and now you're over fifty percent guys that played at four year colleges? Yeah, oh yeah, all the time, and, and trying. And there's certain guys that get drafted out of high school that should sign, you know, if they're they're invested in. But a lot of them, um, the college route route's the better route. I had a, one of my former Louisville guys got pulled up today to the Dodgers, and um, you just, you know, the more you have guys like that that have success in this route, uh, the easier it is to sell to the next guy. But um, you can sell it both ways at times. I mean, I think, you know, professional baseball is great. It's the goal of all our kids. So we're, we're constantly trying to get them there. Chris, no, it's going to be a great atmosphere this weekend. will be a lot of fun. First regional for you and Starkville. Thanks so much for your time and good luck. Thanks, guys. Take care. Chris Lamonis, head coach at Mississippi State, getting set for the Starkville Regional. Game one, going to play the early game. Ah, I meant to ask him about that, the, the decision to play in that first game, but I, I think he's kind of outlined the reasons they're doing that. that. That One, it gives you a little bit more rest. Two, it gives you a little bit more time to scout. And three, in the event that you have any weather situations arise, then you got a better chance of getting a game in on that first day. And he also pointed out yesterday, if you missed this, They've done this before here, and I was okay with doing it again. It sounds to me like this is an idea that was suggested to him that this is probably how you should do it. And he was like, yeah, okay. Thanks to Chris Lamonis for joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Good hour working here on Sports Talk Mississippi. Keith Carter. Interim Athletics Director at Ole Miss with us to start the hour. Good chat with Chris Lamonis as well, baseball coach at Mississippi State. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, glad to have you along for the ride this afternoon. Uh, on the horizon, something you need to know about, you can catch the JT Show at the Family Resource Center of North Mississippi in Tupelo on Friday. You'll hear about how former prisoners are being rehabilitated and trained to enter the workforce and live more meaningful lives. It's the JT Show at the Family Resource Center of North Mississippi in Tupelo. It's on South Church Street coming up on Friday. Um, 
Do you buy into regional strength based on average RPI? Hey, Dad, does that do anything for you? Um, it can, yeah. I mean, if you've got, uh, you know, a strong one and a two seed, you've got a tough regional, and you know, the three seeds, they they tend to be pretty much what they are, and the four seeds are always going to be like the automatic qualifiers, usually from the lesser uh, conferences. So they're going to be, you know, 150 sub, sub 150 kind of teams. But yeah, if you have a high overall RPI in a regional, it's probably safe to say it's going to be tough. And let's be honest, sometimes the number four seed can pull the overall average of the regional yeah. down. And a good yeah. example would be comparing the Oxford Regional and the Starkville Regional. According to average RPI, the Oxford Regional is the second most difficult of all 16 spots. An average RPI of 44.25. By the way, the regional in Oklahoma City has the most difficult at 42.75. So Ole Miss has, is number 22 in the RPI. Illinois is number 28. Clemson is 38. And then Jacksonville State, a very respectable 89. Um, That's probably the difference. It, well, yes. Because Mississippi State has a regional with an average RPI of 75. Mississippi State at 4. Miami at 17. Central Michigan at 73. And the SWAC champ Southern at 206. Yeah. Obviously, that's going to skew the overall number. Absolutely. I don't yeah. buy into this as much because I think it's more so about one, probably pitching depth, and two, like, this sounds dumb, but, like, who it is. Like, last year you got a Tennessee Tech team that had won 50 games. Like, it didn't really matter. Weren't they the two seed? Yeah. And it doesn't really matter what league you're in. Like, if you have a team that wins 50 games, they're probably going into whatever ballpark, whether it be Yankee Stadium or not, believing they can win. And there's that you can't always say that for every mid-major team or some high-major teams that, you know, either scuffled at the end of the year or, you know, didn't win 50 games. You think you have Second. a similar impact with Central Michigan? I know it's slightly different because they they didn't win 50 games and, and stuff like that, but I mean, that's a team, as Haydad told us yesterday, hottest in the country as, turn, as far as consecutive wins goes. There's definitely something to it. You win 18 in a row, you probably think you can beat the Mets. You might could beat the Mets. Yeah, <laughs> use a different example. <laughs> um, yeah, Second consecutive year that the Ohio Valley Conference champion is coming to Oxford. That was Tennessee Tech a year ago. This year, Jacksonville State, the champion of the uh, the Ohio Valley Conference. And similar to Central Michigan, who has won 18 in a row, Jacksonville State has won 12 in a row, and I think 17 of their last 18. So two four seeds coming in that are uh, playing some pretty good baseball. Um, hey, Dad. In reality, Miami is the team that you're concerned about in Starkville, right? Right, absolutely. And like you said, they're you know they've got to be. I don't have the number right in front of me, but have to imagine they're one of the highest RPI two seeds out there. Let's see, Miami at 17. That would certainly make sense. I had this somewhere. Them and A and M. Uh, so you got Dallas Baptist as a yeah. two seed at number twenty five. Tennessee's the highest, probably at fourteen. Yeah, where'd they go? To Chapel they're Hill. North, yeah, they're North Carolina. Ooh, UC Santa Barbara twenty one. Texas A and M fifteen. Indiana's a two seed at thirty six. 
Wait, is Indiana the two or the three seed in Louisville? Illinois State. I just can't remember if they got the two or the three. Um, UConn is a two seed, is number 29 in the Oklahoma City Regional. Illinois is a two, is the uh, 24 in the RPI. Indiana State in Nashville is Vanderbilt's two seed, is at number 24. So they're uh, Miami at 17. So they've got the, uh, what, third. You get the third highest ranked RPI team in Starkville as the uh, as the two seed. Yeah. And so then a pretty good drop off of the three. Yeah. But like you said with Central Michigan, when you've won that many games in a row, you're not going to be intimidated. Now the the crowd the size of the crowd should they get to play Mississippi State might throw them off. But I get the feeling that a, a team that's won that many games in a row, they're gonna feel like they can come in and beat with compete with anybody. Rippy, how difficult do you rate the Oxford regional? Because I heard a lot of people right after it was announced go, oh, these are pretty favorable matchups. Like, compared to what? Like, don't make the question more difficult. Yeah, no, Korea, more I'm tell, how tough is it? Is it really hard? Is it favorable? Should they navigate it easily? Is it uh, one of the tougher draws? What What do you think of the draw in Oxford? Is it one that they I, should skate through or whatever? On a scale of heartbreak on Monday night to dancing in the streets on Sunday night, how do you rank it? Um, I mean, I think they got a decent draw. Like Clemson is a fairly weak three seed. Like they they don't like they don't really jump off the page. I don't think they played particularly well towards the end of the year. Clemson, I excuse me, Illinois is pretty good. Uh, that league is not though, but they had some decent pitching depth. Um, and then Jacksonville State, I mean, RPI pretty good for a four seed, but I, I don't think Ole Miss should have any problems with it. Like, there's no, like you looked at Tennessee Tech last year, and even though I wasn't really around, like you could see the draw and even from a distance, be like, man, that's a sob of a two seed. I don't think you really have that this year, um, in a two or a three or really a four. So I think they got a pretty good draw overall. And then if you look beyond that, not that they should look beyond the regional, but when you look at what the regional was paired with, I think that's a decent break as well. So as far as getting through the regional, I mean, if they play well, they will they will get through. But, I mean, if you if you play poorly in that second game, Clemson particularly holding that left-handed kid for the potentially the second game if they win, or you face Illinois in general, like you're going to have to play well to win. I know that sounds cliche, but like I don't think you can skate through it. You certainly can't lose games and win them in the NCAA baseball tournament. <laughs> Based on on what you were saying about the uh, the matchup with the Fayetteville Regional, Arkansas is the national seed. Given what we believed with regard to Ole Miss hosting, if they hosted, they were probably the 16 or maybe the 15, which would have meant a super regional matchup with either UCLA or Vanderbilt. Well, they were the last like. Two teams in consideration because everyone had clear cut resumes as to, you know, this is who is hosting. They're really kind of like the loose ends of the hosting discussion. But like I said yesterday, if you're overlooking RPI, why would you put them as the 16? Oh, no, I, I, I don't disagree with you at all. I'm just saying getting a matchup. Uh, wouldn't you agree, though, that on Sunday night, once it was announced that Ole Miss was hosting, most everybody thought that they were either going to be the 16 or the 15. Oh, I guess I'm asking why would you think that? Based on RPI. And the reliance that the committee has had on RPI in the past. I guess, but to me, 
if that was if they had if they had used that as a gauge, then Ole Miss wouldn't be hosting. So once they announced that he was a host, obviously RPI didn't matter that much. I didn't know you were such a critical thinker. I mean, this is this is used in your He's noggin a for more than for a half. For God's sake. That the uh, wait what? No, I mean, that was uh, it was a compliment. Thanks. Blind squirrel finds a nut every now and again. Every great once in a while. But no, I mean that what what you're saying makes sense that you go if I guess a lot of people just made the assumption Ole Miss hosts they've got an RPI of 22 that never happens they're going to be the highest RPI team that's a host they'll get the 16 spot. But maybe you should have taken it a step farther and said, okay, Ole Miss isn't hosting because of what their RPI number is, so why are they hosting? And then you dig a little bit deeper, and maybe there you go. I'm not that's, Plato, that's but what that I was seems doing too, simplistic. Yeah, that's what I was doing too. I was saying that I thought State and Oxford, I thought Starville and Oxford would get paired up, and people were attacking me saying, "Oh, there's no way Ole Miss will be seated high enough." At the end of the day, the the process is subjective. We don't know what goes into it. If we did, TCU is probably not in the tournament. The NCAA can seed these teams however they see fit, and they were going to seed four of the SEC teams together to make sure that, they, that only two of them got out of the Super Regionals. So, and if yeah. they were the 16, that would have been nice selfishly, showing off the beach bot out there on the West Coast. <laughs> the beach bot. You've been working out a lot? Um, would you have gotten a spray tan before you went to the beach? I'm currently wearing a white shirt, and if I took it off, you couldn't tell a difference. <laughs> <laughs> so, so would you have gotten a spray tan before you went to Los Angeles? Negative, not a spray tan guy. Well, I mean, I, I get that you're not there, Johnny Pasty White, but, you know, maybe it's time to think about that. No. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio, streaming online at supertalk.fm. More coming up after this. Hey, Dad, anything at all that Mississippi State should be worried about on Friday against Southern? Well, I mean, this is a team that beat uh, LSU in the midweek, they're certainly capable, um, you know, and it's baseball. Anything can certainly happen. So, I mean, this isn't a game where I think State can just walk in. This, you know, you're playing the SWAC champion. They, they, they've, they've beaten a, an SEC team before. They're certainly going to, you know, put everything they have out there. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say State's, you know, should be nervous or worried, but to go in there with the big head and just think, oh, well, we're just going to show up and win, that would be a terrible idea for Mississippi State. You just go out and play and play well and everything yeah, will take yeah, care of itself. Play, if, they, if State plays its game, they're going to win. Yeah. Um, What was it? It was the 2014 Lafayette Regional mm-hmm. where Jackson State beat Louisiana Lafayette. What was it, like one to nothing, one nothing two to nothing? Yeah. One nothing. Has Southern got like one elite arm at the top of the rotation? I'll have to, I haven't done a ton of research on Southern yet, but I do know, I mean, they're, they're probably going to throw the guy that beat LSU. And, uh, you know, he's, he, I wouldn't say he's an elite arm, but he's going to be good enough. Yeah. Um, how tough is the regional in Starkville overall? It's pretty tough. I mean, we, we just talked about it. Miami is, is a good two seed. They were a team that was in the hosting discussion basically until the final days of the, uh, the process. Central Michigan is a uh, you know double champ this year, regular season and tournament champ. They've won 18 in a row. 
And like I just said with Southern, you know, they are a SWAC team, but they have gone on the road and beaten LSU. That is a big feather in their cap. So, I mean, it's, it's, is it the toughest regional in, in America? No, no, I wouldn't say that. But it, it's, it's definitely one that if state doesn't play its best, that they will, you know, their season will end there this weekend. The uh, you mentioned LSU, the Baton Rouge regional, ninth toughest regional with an average RPI across the four teams of fifty eight. It's LSU at thirteen, Arizona State at thirty three, Southern Miss up to forty five after winning the Conference USA tournament, and Stony Brook at one thirty eight. Baton Rouge has got the eleventh toughest two versus three matchup with that game that's going to be between Arizona State and. Um, uh, Southern Miss, and then when you take the four seed out of the Baton Rouge Regional, it's the uh, 12th toughest overall average of a little better than uh, than 31. Borky, what do you think the chance is that Southern Miss goes in and wins that in, in Baton Rouge? Um, I hate to say this, it's just there's something different about LSU playing home regionals in Baton Rouge, save for that time where Stony Brook went in there and beat them it's a really good story, and winning the Conference USA is nothing to shake your head at, but betting against LSU in a home regional is just a really dumb thing to do. So, I mean, 1% just because anybody can beat anybody, but doubting LSU at this point, the way they play, and they have some kind of weird voodoo in that stadium going on, picking against LSU in a home regional is just kind of stupid. With that said, I definitely agree with Borky, but... Coach Scott Berry made it sound like Walker Powell would go in the second game. Yeah. If you get through the first game, it seems like every week that we came on, they get through a complete game, which I know that's not necessarily true, but that gives you a puncher's chance. But I definitely agree with Borky. That's well, an impossible place to go win. And a ballpark where the ball just absolutely explodes off the bat. I mean, it flies in Baton Rouge, especially in June, like few other places in all of college baseball, and it just happens to coincide with Matt Walner being hot as a firecracker. So let's say that, that Southern Miss is able to knock off Arizona State in game one. We know LSU's pitching this year hasn't been great, right? I mean, are, are, are we right. all of a sudden pretending that LSU's got 14 Sandy Koufaxes on that roster? No, but Marceau's looked better is the only thing I would say. But to your point, Walker, not scary. You know, what are you going to get from Cole Henry? Marceau's been better, though, so like better than it was. That's why I kind of why I thought Ole Miss would go down there and win, because the LSU pitching staff, granted they didn't have Cole Henry, was not scary at all going down there. Yeah. And you talk about the ball exploding out of that, that stadium. That's why Arizona State is, is probably con- probably pretty confident they can go down there and win that regional, because they've got big bats in their lineup. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think there was like a single dude – that got it done against uh, LSU when Southern beat them. Rippy doing a little crack research over here. What, they throw 14 guys that night? Um, it appears to literally be half of that. They threw seven. <laughs> <laughs> literally. literally hey, my, ma- my man Rippy getting in the math game today. Critical well, thinking exa- award and the math award. Well, I know you were exaggerating, but seven's still kind of a ridiculous number either. They basically assigned to each cat an inning and were like, go get them. Although, it appears the first guy gave up eight runs. Oh, I'm looking at the wrong box score. He's not even looking at the right thing. They played twice this season. He was looking at the one where LSU won. LSU won that one 17-4. 
Can't take we'll him anywhere. We'll have the answers when we come back after this Can't commercial Can't take break. him anywhere. Hey, Dad says that those are the best opening lyrics to a song ever. You still standing by that? 100%. I think I'm going to stick with uh, Meta Gin Soaked Barroom Queen in Memphis. I, uh, the more I've given thought to that, the uh, more strongly I feel about it. That's a really good like July topic that I'm going to bring back, and we'll just spend an hour talking about opening lines to songs like Just a Small Town Girl Living in a Lonely World, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Just talk some rock music. Don't stop day. believing, Borky. <laughs> don't stop believing. Get your cell phone light on and don't stop believing. I just picked up my cell phone by habit out of there. It was like a reflex, like Pavlov's dog. Wait, do you do that in the press box? No, for God's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, you I, said I it was reflex. I was just curious. I have been known to record it and, uh, and put it out on various forms of social media, though. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, well, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land for over 100 years. They've got branch locations spread out all across North Mississippi. Senatobia, Clarksdale, Cleveland, Indianola, Corinth, Tupelo, New Albany, Starkville, Kosciuszko, and Louisville. And if you need to get a loan for the farm, Mississippi Land Bank can help. Maybe not for the farm. Maybe it's a real estate loan to build that house in the country. Mississippi Land Bank can do that as well. They've been serving North Mississippi again for over 100 years. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. We are glad to have you along this afternoon. The C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. It's time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to Buy Ford Now. Find out about all the great deals that they've got going on the full line of Ford cars, trucks, and SUVs. You can test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer, and from now through the 4th of July, maybe a couple of days after that, if you are a veteran or a first responder, a member of the military or a first responder, then you can get extra savings on top of the already good incentives that they've got going only at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. It's one way for Ford to say thank you. So updated lines on some of the big games coming up in the college football season. Let's take a look at some of these, see what you think. Most of these are from the first few weeks of the year. A few of them go a little bit deeper into the season, so some futures action here. Florida as a seven and a half point favorite against Miami on August twenty fourth. You like that? Right now, I'd probably take the Canes. Yeah, plus the I'm seven and a half. Yeah, in Orlando, Florida by the end of the year probably pretty good, but like first game, two somewhat equal playing field opponents. I don't know. The veteran now, Felipe Franks. A lot of confidence. Got better and better as the season went along. Heard that kid's taking the next step this year. Oh, really? Yeah. There will be a lot of next steps taken between now and August. Don't forget about Tathan. Who? Tathan Martell. Yeah, Tate Martell's real name is Tathan. You didn't know that? 
I just forgot about it. Okay. The lines versus what actually happens the first weekend of a college football season sometimes is absurd. Remember how no one was giving LSU a chance against Miami last year? They just waxed yeah. them. That was one of like seven examples of that uh, that weekend. Florida State, an early four-and-a-half-point favorite against Boise State. Ugh, I wouldn't touch that. I, I mean, I wouldn't come anywhere close it. to that. I'll touch that. I'll take Boise State and, and, and give those points. How many? Four-and-a-half. I would have no idea what to do with that. We well, didn't mention Mullen versus Diaz, by the way, on the Florida Miami game. Okay. What does that mean? Well, it's just a little, you know, they know each other. They might know each other's tendencies a little bit. Where's that being played? Probably share shoes. I think it's in Orlando. Could you imagine August 24th Orlando Heat? Ugh. It's Speaking gross. of Heat, oh, that's, I was about to say, today. You were it, there for that. Oh, yeah, it was hot. Yeah, it was hot. But that was at night on Labor Day. It was a week later, at night. I don't think the calendar, like, turning from August to September two days before the game happened had, had much effect on the heat. They're a weather guy. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty thick. No, I was just going to say earlier, it was cloudy today in Oxford and breezy this morning and pretty pleasant outside. And then we got one of those little pop-up 15-minute thunderstorms. I mean, it wasn't even a thunderstorm. It just kind of rained hard. There was no thunder or lightning. Like 10 minutes. And yeah, I mean, literally 10, 15 minutes rained hard, sun pops out, and it was like, welcome to summertime. You could see the steam rising off the ground. Like the ground completely dried in about 15 minutes, and just like you walked out into a sauna. Oh. I, I was on the way back from a doing adult stuff with no rain jacket, got soaked. <laughs> that could have been taken the wrong way if you weren't privy to the earlier conversation. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Hey, Dad, you could, uh, hey, you could switch now, hey, Dad, to uh, to hot yoga as opposed to just your uh, wrestling yoga that you're doing these days. Well, I, I can just turn up, you know, I just turn off the air in the house and just go with that. Yeah. Well, then your house would be hot. You really do yoga? How many times do we have to have this discussion? Yes. It, 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 we don't run out of time. I mean, there's no reason to keep a count. It's an entertaining discussion every time we do it. I guess it is, man. You guys are just amazing. What, 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 what do, I've asked you this before, but I've forgotten your answer, so I'll ask again. Okay. Favorite yoga position? Right now, it's the one that's called the cobra. Okay. And you're what does the cobra look your, like? You lay flat on your stomach, and then you sort of push yourself up with your arms, and you're like, your head's up in the air. So you're like, Oh, and you're supposed to stick your feet up in the air, too, right? No, no, feet are on the ground. So you're okay. stretching your back. Are you getting better and better at it? Yeah. Like, like you can hold it for longer than you used to be able to? Yeah. Okay. I mean, that would be the point of all this, I would think. Yeah, I would I would tend to agree with that. What what's your second favorite yoga pose? <laughs> I don't know that I have a second favorite, to be totally honest. How do you feel about yoga pants, hey Dad? Uh, they they wouldn't look good on me. All you ladies want to keep rocking them though, by all means. Auburn a three-point favorite against Oregon? We, we changed topics. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I yeah. just was moving back along. Didn't want <laughs> to get too Oregon. silly. I'll take the Ducks. You like Oregon getting the points? I like, to, I like Oregon straight up to win. I got no Corky, faith. you got to lean on that one. Uh, I tend to lean more towards quarterback play, especially early on, and Oregon has a quarterback that everybody has just completely forgotten about, and understandably so because you have Trevor Lawrence and Tua, but they have a future first-round NFL draft pick and one that actually belongs there instead of the one that went to New York and uh, Justin Herbert. 
So I'll lean quarterback play early. Okay. LSU in week two, a three-point favorite at Texas. That game's going to be fun. I kind of like LSU in that game. I'm, I am, I was not buying LSU a season ago and readily admit that I was wrong on that. I'm kind of buying LSU in 2019. I felt like a Coach O stand that y'all were so down on them last year. A Coach O what? Like, I felt like I was like stumping for Coach O in the beginning of it. Oh. Are you taking LSU minus three at Texas? Um, Can I change when we pick it the week of? Sure. Yes, then. Clemson as a 15-point favorite at home against Texas A&M. Next time we go to the timeout lounge at the Gold Moon Casino at Pearl River Resort, I'll put a few bills on A&M. All right, excuse me, on Clemson to beat A&M by more than 15. I know they lost that money last year. I know they lost some bodies up front on the defensive line, but Clemson still should have the most electric offense in college football with the best, most talented quarterback in college football, and they didn't lose anybody on their staff. I mean, it's the, it's the exact same coaching staff with the exact same elite quarterback with the exact same elite wide receiver, and they replaced talent with talent. The machine that Dabo has built, A&M is not ready yet to compete at that level, and I'm just in love with Trevor Lawrence, and not because he looks like a woman. Um, <laughs> I think, I think he will go down as one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play college football in the history of college football. <sighs> hey, hey, Borky, Borky, listen to this. <laughs> hey, my well, opening you, you weekend. Know, last hey, you know what year. sound that is? Oh yeah, that was me ripping up my ticket again. That was that was on the uh, the opening day of the NCAA tournament when we were at the timeout lounge at Pearl River Resort, and uh, you did that. That was a parlay, though. In my defense, at least opening. It weekend was two for... games into a six par, <laughs> a sixteen parlay. Hey, but I got game one right. Georgia ten and a half point favorite against Notre Dame between the hedges. Michigan, a six-point favorite at Wisconsin. Mm. How about this one? Ohio State, only a seven-point favorite at Nebraska. Boy, Nebraska, beginning of the year to end of the year, a season ago, vastly different team. Took a little while for the Scott Frost effect to begin to take hold. Feels like Nebraska is uh, on its way up. Alabama, 17-point favorite against LSU. It's in Tuscaloosa this year. Feels Georgia, right. nine-point favorite against Auburn. Can I load up on that one right now? Yes, I would. If Michigan, three-point favorite against Ohio State. Bama minus 14 in the Iron Bowl against Auburn. These are futures lines. We are about to jump on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team with Eric Sorensen from D1 Baseball. But before we do that, I missed this text earlier. And so Richard in Wiggins, who is a regular listener and an even more regular, maybe even serial texter on the C Spire text line, is having a birthday today. Today, Richard in Wiggins turns 70 years old. And we want to do uh, I don't think he's going to be 70, actually. I just made that part up. Uh, happy birthday, Richard. Thanks for being with us on the show on a regular basis. I will say this. You sent us a picture of a goat earlier. Borky said, that goat cracks me up. And you followed up with, that goat is sleeping with me tonight. <laughs> um, oh. I don't really know what to do with that. I have a great joke about he that, does. but I can't tell it on the air. 
Yeah. Happy birthday, Richard. Thanks for being a good sport, and thanks for listening to Sports Talk Mississippi every single day. If this guy lived in Mississippi, I'm confident that he also would listen to Sports Talk Mississippi every single day. What's up, Eric Sorensen? Oh, you had me scared there for a second. I thought you were going to say, I'm confident he'd be sleeping with a goat, too. But uh, That kind of goes without saying, doesn't it? Yeah. Hey, look, you can find any fetish on the internet. You can't. You easy. Can't easy. Easy. This just went off the rails. <laughs> oh, that was it's all you're doing, Cross, I'm going to tell you. Eric Sorensen on Twitter is Stitch underscore head. Yep. Um, Mr. Stitch head, how do you feel about the field of 64? Well, I. I wrote a column about it. I, I was I was pretty peeved about it to be honest with you. I, I just I didn't like the the job. And I'm I, admittedly I'm a little harsher on the selection committee than than most of my cohorts like uh, Aaron Pitt and Kendall Rogers, but I, I just didn't like it. I, I came away from there from the selection show angry practically just cuz I just thought about it was what? really lazy. So many things. So many super regional possibilities where it's going to be matching up conference teams against conference teams. I can understand, like last year, where they had one possibility of that of number one seeds matching, which was Florida State and Clemson, which didn't happen. But to have five of them, that's you can't. It's there's so many easy fixes that could have changed that. And I was also kind of kind of hacked off at some of the, the teams that got included and some of the teams that did not get included. It's kind of the same old thing I seem to scream about just about every other year on the selection uh, when the selection show comes out. So, all right. Yeah, so who should have gotten in really that didn't get in? I'm sorry, say it again. I said, who should have gotten in, in your mind, that didn't get in? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm always partial to teams that win their regular season championships, uh, and that's why I thought Texas State and BYU, especially BYU down at number 42, that's a pretty good RPI for a team that plays a lot of games away from home early in the season and, and is geographically isolated, doesn't have a lot of teams to play in the midweek. But, yeah, Texas State won the Sun Belt. I thought that should have gotten a, a little bit of rope for that, too. And those are the two teams that I, that I was kind of zeroed in on, um, hoping that they would get bids when the, when the show came on and didn't end up getting them. Are you angry about TCU getting in? Yeah, I, I am. Because no team has ever gotten – I don't remember a Big 12 team ever having an RPI that high at 59 and a losing record in conference – and it wasn't until I read Aaron Fitz's article earlier today that I realized Chris Del Conte, the former TCU uh, uh, AD, is on the selection committee. So you know he's going to have a soft spot for Jim Slosnagel and the, and the Frogs. And I think that has a lot. That probably did have a lot. I'd agree with Aaron on that. It probably had, did have a lot to do with why TCU got in. I thought TCU was a pretty good team this year. I think it was just kind of their RPI got hurt by some teams in their non-conference that didn't live up to billing this year. But I saw them play this year. I saw them beat Oklahoma, and they looked like they passed the eye test to me. But, yeah, I, I didn't like that the, the fact that they got in with the way their numbers added up here at the end. Eric, do you believe you know, we, we seed the tournament 1 through 16, so we've gotten away from the idea of you have eight national seeds. You now have 16 national seeds. It's just the top yeah. eight that are protected. Do you believe that they legitimately, uh, you know, without any um, – any interest or focus on conferences or what the matchups look like that they legitimately seed the teams one through 16? I don't know. It doesn't seem, I mean, okay. It, 
Ray Tanner in the post after the announcement show, they always have a media call with uh, with the selection committee chairman. That was Ray Tanner this year, and he claimed that they kept the one through sixteen it, the integrity of the seedings. But to me, it's all still going to be subjective. It's still going you can still look at numbers and just kind of like RPI, just kind of like you know think, okay, well that's just a tool. I mean, because look, even Ole Miss, they were twenty two in the RPI, but got a top, uh, you know, got a home regional. So to me, it's still it's still subjective, and I think they still they 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 can't hide behind the fact that they tried to match the numbers of the one through sixteen. I, I, that doesn't that doesn't seem to, to jive with me. I think that was just a mistake. I think it was just they made they made uh, they made some errors on the on the way they they've seeded the top sixteen. I thought, but that's right, my so opinion. Let, I mean, I, you might change that, but that's my opinion, though. But, well, let's stick with Ole Miss for a second because if you're a fan of Ole Miss or, or you are maybe not a fan of the RPI, which there are a lot of people that are not, they, they think that there are holes in the RPI, then you would look at that and go, okay, well, the committee actually did go beyond RPI. Ole Miss is at right. 22 in, in, in that metric, but they clearly looked at metrics beyond that and looked at their number of Quadrant 1 wins and the fact that they went 4-0 and against Texas A&M and some other things to determine – that Ole Miss is the 12 seed, which also makes you think Ole Miss didn't just get in because they got to the championship game of the SEC tournament. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, for them, it would have been different if it was a 16 seed for Ole Miss or something, but, hell, they were a 12. And their RPI a week ago before the SEC tournament was at 30. So they did some serious climbing by playing these games and, and winning as many as they did going into you know the championship game of that of the SEC tournament. So... Yeah, I mean, it, you're right. This wasn't an Ole Miss team that squeaked in as a top 16 seed. They were in with, with some comfort. And I found that a little surprising, too, given their numbers of, of the RPI. But, you know, again, yeah, you're right. They had to have they had to have taken other things into account more so than the RPI. And sometimes I've, I've in the past, I've accused the committee of kind of hugging too much to the RPI when it comes to seeding the team. It seems like the top eight, they certainly usually do. But this time, yeah, they didn't. They didn't, and they didn't just stick to the one through sixteen on the RPI. And I can't tell if that's good or bad as far as uh, as how angry I was about about how things turned out. But you know, good for Ole Miss, that's for sure. On the Mississippi State front, they're the number six national seed. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around the idea that Mississippi State is seeded three spots behind Georgia Tech, who did not win the regular season ACC crown and did not win the ACC tournament. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah, not not necessarily. I not really. I I, I thought I thought Mississippi State would probably be third. Actually, coming out of that, it's really weird. I'd love to be a fly on the wall for those for the for the uh, well, through the whole process. To be honest with you, but again, I mean, this is. I know we're kind of splitting hairs though here, Rich, because the key thing is just get into the tournament, and especially you know if, if you're a top eight seed, it really doesn't matter which which one you are, but. Just get in, make sure you win, and that's and and get hot at the right time. But you know, yeah, it, that was a little bit curious too. But I wasn't as angry about that one, just because you know I knew Mississippi State was going to be a top eight seed, whether it be a three or a six or or whatever it was going to be. All right, let's jump into the these regionals involving Mississippi teams. Mississippi State, yeah. they've got Miami as the two, Central Michigan, who's won eighteen in a row, as the three, and Southern University, the SWAC champs, as the four. Anything for Mississippi State to be concerned about in the Starkville Regional? 
Not really. I, I, I liked Mississippi State's draw here. I thought, I thought they kind of deserved a, a, a weaker number four team, and uh, it was good that Southern got placed there instead of the usual in Baton Rouge. So I was all right with that. I think the only thing they might need to keep an eye on is, is Central Michigan just has won a lot of baseball games. I mean, I don't know how talent-wise how good they are or how they're compared, but well, compared against Mississippi State, obviously they're not going to be their talent level, but just worry, you just worry about a team that's going to be, you know, especially a Northern team that kind of tends to play their better baseball later in the season as the temperatures start to warm up. But I think Mississippi State got a pretty good draw there, and I think they're going to, and actually when they're matched up with the Stanford Super Regional, right. I think they got a pretty good matchup there too. I, I think because uh, I got a chance to see Stanford this weekend. I know they're not world beaters, um, great batting lineup, but anyway, I, going back to your original question, I think Mississippi State should be fine this weekend and probably doesn't have a lot to worry about until next week. Just you know, make sure you're playing good ball, and and that's that's it. Eric, only about a minute left. Does Stanford win that regional, or does UC Santa Barbara st- sneak out of there with the win? I picked UC Santa Barbara. I have them as my sleeper for Omaha. If they wouldn't have been matched up with Mississippi State or you know one of those, I think I would have been stronger about UC Santa Barbara give it having a legit shot at making it to Omaha. But that's going to be a tough draw if they win that out and go to Starkville. But yeah, Stanford is. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm looking. At Stanford's a good team. I just think Santa Barbara. I know they haven't had the greatest schedule, but the, the scouts know how much talent is on that pitching staff and the defense and yeah. the offense they play. So I'm going to go with Quit. them. Quick thought, just yes or no, sure. Ole Miss, with Illinois as the two, Clemson as the three, and Jacksonville State as the four, does Ole Miss emerge from the Oxford Regional this year? Yep, they do, and they'll have a tough time next week, though. They've beaten Arkansas three out of five this year. I know, that's going to make them mad. See, that's and, the and two of those three have been in Fayetteville, and then just saying. I, I, I do say watch out for Cal coming out of, out of the Arkansas Regional, too. They've right. really been a hot team down the stretch. Thank you, my man. We'll talk to you soon. Yep. Thanks, Sharon. The Airways, Rich. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.